It's time once again for another look into God's infallible book, and we're happy to welcome you to another broadcast of The Riches of Grace. This program is brought to you by Christian people who believe the Bible to be the Word of God and who appreciate its power and authority. My name is Richard Jordan, and it's my privilege each week to be your Bible teacher and host as we meet together right here each week to study God's Word, to allow the Spirit of God to teach us through the study of His written Word. You know, when you study the Bible, there are a lot of a lot of questions come up. We have folks call us and write us on a, on a regular basis asking Bible questions because this is a Bible study program. And one of the one of the questions that comes quite often is the question about the so-called unpardonable sin. Uh, if you blaspheme against the Holy Spirit, can you can you then be saved? In, in Matthew chapter number twelve. The Lord Jesus Christ made it rather clear. Uh, he says in Matthew 12, verse 31, uh, Wherefore I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. Whosoever speaketh the word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world nor in the world to come. This very famous preacher went across America for many years back in the uh, last century, and and a very famous preacher, and he used to preach a message he calls God's Three Deadlines. And one of those deadlines was if you come to the place where you resist the Holy Spirit to the point where he will no longer ever give you an opportunity to be saved. And I can tell you that he scared a lot of people into getting saved, and and. and I'm not recommending that as an approach to evangelism, but it's better to be hell scared than hell scorched, as the as the saying goes. And uh, I can tell you that when I got saved, December 31st, 1962, and yes, I can remember that long ago. But uh, when I got saved, I didn't get saved for the good of mankind or the glory of God. I got saved because I didn't want to die and go to hell. I realized my sins were uh, standing between me and God that they excluded me from heaven. To go to heaven, you had to be perfect, and I certainly wasn't perfect. That's what sin is. And I knew that if if I died at that time in my life, I'd die and be separated from God for eternity, uh, first in hell and then the lake of fire. And I didn't want to be lost. I didn't want, I didn't want that as, as, an, as my eternity. And when I heard that Jesus Christ died for, me, died for me, that God commended his love toward me, and that while I was yet a sinner in my sin, wasn't trying to fix things, I was just going on in my willful way, Christ died for me. When I heard that, and I heard that he offered his life, the wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. So when I, when I realized that Jesus Christ paid for all my sin debt, everything that's wrong with me, was raised to offer from the dead to give me life when I trusted him, you know, you didn't have to twist my arm. You didn't have to have, have talked me into walking down an aisle, shaking a preacher's hand, joining a church, doing a bunch of ceremonies, and, and keeping, you know, living. I trusted him. The first time I ever really, I was raised in church, never a time in my life I didn't know that Jesus Christ was God who died on the cross for my sins. I just thought that believing in him meant you went to church and did things, gave money and lived right and all that kind of stuff. When I realized that all those things I was falling short of, but that I found out that Jesus Christ, the good news is he died for me to pay for everything that's wrong with me so he could give me his life when I trusted him. You know what I did? Well, I believe that his blood was enough to save me and pay for all my sins, so I trusted him. I believed in Jesus, <laughs> and I relied exclusively upon him to be my Savior, the one he died and rose again for me to be. When I trusted the Lord Jesus Christ, I, um, I was happy about that, thrilled with it, am today thrilled with it. But I didn't do it for the greater good of, God, of, of, of mankind. I didn't do it for the glory of God. I did it to keep myself out of hell. I did it so that my sins would be paid for by him and not by me. 
So I, I'm not opposed to telling people about hell. I believe I believe that's a great motivation. Like I said, the old timers used to say, "Better to be hell scared than hell scorched." But this brother, when he'd go around preaching about God's deadline, and the one he called it the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. That is, you could go to the place in your life rejecting where you became hardened. You remember Pharaoh in the Old Testament? He he hardened his heart. Well, Proverbs twenty nine one says, "He that being often reproved hardeneth his heart." and shall suddenly be destroyed in that without remedy. So the preacher would say, if you go to the place where you've hardened your heart, you've rejected or rejected, and now God will, con- will, will quit dealing with you. And he used this text. If you blaspheme against the Holy Ghost, then it won't be forgiven you. But you know, that isn't what that verse is talking about. Now that preacher, like I said, he, he, he great preacher, did a lot of, lot, saw a lot of people get saved, but he was dead wrong about using the the issue of the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit as one of God's deadlines to whether or not you could get saved or not. And I know a lot of folks that uh, through the years, I've been preaching for a long time. I've been pastoring for a long time. I've been dealing with people about their souls for a long time. And I know that people question and ask, have I gone so far? And have, I, have I sinned so much? Have I rejected and refused so long that God won't save me, that God won't hear me? Can I tell you that you don't have to worry about committing the unpardonable sin today? In fact, it's impossible for anyone today in the dispensation of grace to commit the unpardonable sin. You say, how do you know that, Brother Rick? Well, look with me at 1 Timothy chapter number 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1 is a, is a fascinating passage to compare with Matthew 28, I'm sorry, Matthew 12, about the, uh, Matthew 12, 28 and 29, about the, the, uh, the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. In 1 Timothy chapter number 1, the Apostle Paul says in verse 12, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious. Now notice, Paul says that before he got saved, he was a blasphemer. Well, who did he blaspheme? Well, there was nobody there for him to blaspheme except the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, Matthew 12 says, if you speak against the Son of Man, it'll be forgiven you. But Paul also blasphemed against the Holy Ghost because when he was going out and persecuting, and injuring, who was he persecuting and injuring? He was persecuting and injuring the Pentecostal church upon whom the Holy Spirit had come in Acts chapter number 2, and who had filled them, and it was carrying out their his, his ministry, the Holy Spirit's ministry, through that little flock. The nation Israel rejected God the Father through his testimony to them through John the Baptist. Then they rejected God the Son in his, in, his, in his personal testimony to them. John the Baptist, they allowed uh, Herod to, to behead him. With the Lord Jesus Christ, they demanded that Rome crucify him. But there's a third member of the Godhead. That's the Holy Spirit. And in Acts chapter number 2, the Holy Spirit came on Peter and the apostles, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. In chapter 1 of the book of Acts, chapter number 4, the Lord Jesus Christ, Luke is describing the Lord Jesus Christ as he's talking to his apostles. And he says, being together with them, he commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, you have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye should be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. 
And that's exactly what took place at the day of Pentecost. They were baptized with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost. Jesus from heaven poured out the, 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 uh, the gift of the Holy Spirit upon them. And they were, they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spake as the Spirit gave them utterance. In fact, in Acts chapter 2, verse number 30, Peter says, Therefore, being a prophet, talking about uh, David, knowing that God has sworn with an oath unto him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne, he, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul should not be left in hell, nor his flesh see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we, are, we all are witnesses, Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this which you now see and hear. In other words, Peter says what happened on the, what's happening there on the day of Pentecost is that the Lord Jesus Christ is, is bearing, the Holy Spirit's bearing testimony to the resurrection of Christ. Christ is sitting at the Father's right hand. The Holy Spirit, he's poured out the Holy Spirit on us. And now the Holy Spirit's witness is being borne to the nation Israel through that little flock of believers. Now, Paul said, I was persecutor and, and injuring that group of people. He said, I was blaspheming. Who was he blaspheming? Well, he was blaspheming the Holy Spirit's testimony through the apostles, through the little flock there at, 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 uh, uh, at, at Pentecost, Hebrews chapter number 2. Speaking of that very event, the, the, the early uh, book of Acts, the Pentecostal church and, and, and the believers in the ministry there, Acts chapter 2, I'm, I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 2, verse number 3. Hebrews 2, 3, 2, 3, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? Now, you've heard a lot of preachers, you know, use that. Again, that's a great evangelistic text. Um, okay, if you're going to go preach on the streets, you're going to preach to, in, 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 in um, the missions. I, I started my preaching ministry uh, in, in an inner city rescue mission. That's a great text people would preach. How shall we escape when neglect so great salvation? And if that's all that verse you read, you can preach about it. But the rest of that passage, you need, you need, you know, if you read a part of a verse like that and you don't read the rest of it, somebody's going to come along and read the rest of it and get confused. Well, that makes great preaching. It doesn't make good Bible study. Look at Hebrews 2, 3. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord? Now, that's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And was confirmed unto us by them that heard him, that's the apostles in the early Acts period. How do you know? God also bearing them witness with signs and wonders and divers miracles, diverse miracles, and gifts of the Holy Ghost according as he hath, uh, according to his own will. So Christ began to preach it. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he preached the gospel of the kingdom. Then the Holy Spirit comes and bears witness through the, the, uh, the 12 apostles and the little flock that Christ had trained. And his ministry bears witness. So when Paul persecuted the, the Pentecostal church, he was persecuting the ministry of the Holy Spirit through them. He said, I was, I was a blasphemer. So the apostle Paul in 1 Timothy 1 verse 13 is very clear that he blasphemed against the testimony of the Holy Spirit in the little flock. Now let me show you, watch him do it. Come over to Acts chapter 7. In Acts chapter number 7, Peter in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost says in verse number 34, For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, God the Father says to God the Son, this is Psalm 110, verse 1, Sit thou upon my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. 
Therefore, Peter says, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, that wouldn't be real good news to Israel, quite frankly. That's why the next verse, they, they were pricked in their hearts, and they said to Peter and, the, and, and the, the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what should we do? They understood they were in trouble. Why? They crucified the Lord Jesus Christ. God the Father raised him from the dead and then set him at his own right hand in heaven and said, Son, sit here on my right hand until I send you back to make your enemies, your foes, your footstool. I'm going to send you back and destroy your enemies. He's going to sit there at the Father's right hand until then. Peter's telling him, you messed up. You crucified the Messiah. God raised him up, sits him in heaven, and he's going to send him back and destroy his enemies. You're in trouble. You know what you need to do? You need to get right. <laughs> you need to repent. You need to change your mind about who you thought he was, understand he is your Messiah, and you need to come and get in the program. Repent and be baptized, everyone, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That's what Peter tells Israel to do in light of the fact that they had mistaken the Messiah and crucified him. They needed to uh, change their mind about what they'd done. I want you to see that Peter says he's in heaven, sitting at the Father's right hand, and he's going to sit there until the time comes when he's going to come back and make his enemies his footstool. Well, if you come over to Acts chapter 7, this is about one year later. You've had a whole year's ministry of the of the apostles and the little flock there in, at, at, in Jerusalem to the nation Israel. And in Acts chapter 7, Stephen stands up in front of the Senate and Council of Israel and uh, he, he has uh, the opportunity to present uh, his, his message. And you go all the way down to verse number 51, where, where Stephen is filled with the Holy Ghost, and he's preaching to the leaders of the nation Israel who had crucified Christ and that needed to repent. And he says this to them in Acts seven fifty one. Now listen carefully. You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you do always resist the Holy Ghost. As your fathers did, so do ye. Which of the prophets have your, not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which showed before the coming of the just one, of whom ye have now been the betrayers and murderers, who received the, the law by the disposition of angels, and have not kept it. When they therefore heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. Now they got into the same kind of conviction the guys back in Acts 2 did, but instead of saying, what should we do? They got mad, and they had a, a stoning party. They gnashed on him with their teeth. They did a little Mike Tyson on him. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven, now listen, and saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open, and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Now, do you remember where in Acts chapter 2, verse 36 and 37, Peter said Jesus was? The Father says, Come and sit thou, sit at my right hand until I make you your foes, your footstool. In Acts 7, he's no longer seated. seated. He's what? He's standing. Well, according to Psalm 110, verse 1 that Peter quotes in Acts 1, why would he be standing? Well, the answer is obvious, to make his foes his footstool. Isaiah says that the Lord, the Lord stands to judge his people. You know what's happened here in Acts chapter 7? They've blasphemed the Holy Spirit, and there's nowhere for Israel to go. They've rejected God the Father in the ministry of John the Baptist. They allowed Herod to kill him. They rejected God the Son. They demanded that Rome would kill him. They said, away with him. We'll have no king but Caesar. 
But on the cross, Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And he gave them a renewed opportunity of repentance in the early Acts period because he sends the Holy Spirit. And now the Holy Spirit calls the nation to repentance. But what do they do? They, they actually commit this murder. The leaders of the nation actually, they cried out, verse 57, with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran unto him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. Now listen, and laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. Saul of Tarsus, who in Acts chapter 9 becomes Paul the apostle. Where was he? He was right there with his nation, blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Chapter 8, verse 1 of Acts says, Saul was consenting unto, the, uh, unto his, Stephen's, death. And Saul goes out and begins breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the believers. And he says quite clearly that I was a blasphemer and injurious. Now tell me something. If Paul committed the unpardonable sin, blasphemed against the Holy Spirit, how is it that he could get saved? How is it that it was possible for him to be saved if he committed the sin that Jesus said you couldn't be forgiven of? Well, if you go back to Matthew, 20, Matthew 12, verse 28 and 29, you'll see the answer. He said, you won't be forgiven this in this world or the world to come. You see, the unpardonable sin is a dispensational question. The, the, this world, Jesus lived in a time that the Bible calls time past. The world to come, the ages to come, is a time of the kingdom. In fact, with the passage we read a moment ago in Hebrews chapter 2, if you read verse 5, he would talk about the world to come wherever we speak. But we don't live in time past, and we don't live in the ages to come. Where do we live? We live in what Paul calls, but now. You see, what happened, simply put, is that God interrupted prophecy just at the moment when the wrath of God, when all the world, then through the, and the nation Israel included, deserved nothing but God's wrath to be poured upon them. God interrupted the prophetic program. The next thing in prophecy was going to be sending his son back to make his enemies his footstool. And at that moment, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus, Paul says. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. When he says I'm chief, he doesn't mean I'm the worst one that ever lived. He means I'm the leader. How be it for this cause, that I might be the chief, the leader of sinners, I obtain mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long-suffering. Peter says that God is, he, he, he's long-suffering, would have all men come to repentance. Rather than pouring out his wrath, he's been long-suffering. He held it back, but in order to do that, he had to introduce a new dispensation, a new program, a new order of arrangements, because in time past, Paul couldn't have gotten saved because he committed the unpardonable sin. In the ages to come, Paul couldn't have, couldn't have gotten saved because he committed the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And in time past, the ages to come, you couldn't be saved in those. So God it literally put in to his program a new dispensation. And Paul says that in me first. That's why it says in me first, Paul's the per first person to have this grace extended to him in the new program. He's a new apostle for a new program and a new dispensation. 
that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Paul becomes our pattern. Jesus Christ is our Savior, and he gave us the chief of sinners to be our pattern. Romans chapter 11, Paul says, I say that, that Israel, have they stumbled, they should fall? God forbid, but rather through their fall, salvation has come to the Gentiles. In the Bible, all the way up to the time of Paul, it's, it's salvation goes to the world through the instrumentality of the nation Israel. Now Paul says God set Israel aside. He's changed the program. And I speak to you Gentiles, and as much as I am the apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify my office. God changed the program today. And now, rather than there being an unpardonable sin, that unpardonable sin has actually turned into the place where you and I, who were already outcast, already separated, already unqualified, we've been brought in by the grace of God. Paul He says, Grace be to you in peace from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world, listen, according to the will of God and our Savior, our Father. You see, God's will today is that you and that I would be saved, trust his Son, and be placed into a new program. We're not Israel. God isn't forming the nation Israel today. He will. He'll finish that program one day, but right now he's forming a new agency, the church, the body of Christ. And that new program that he has in effect today, Paul is our apostle. We find that doctrine in Romans to Philemon, 13 books that 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 other apostle, that 13th apostle, wrote for us in his word. You don't understand something like the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. It's The answer is in the dispensational understanding of God's word. If you don't study God's Word dispensationally, you're never going to understand how to, how, to, how to comprehend the Word of God. Could I give you a Bible study that will help you with that? We're almost, our time's almost gone. We're going to have to go. Let me give you a Bible study. It's entitled Four Keys to Bible Understanding. Four simple keys for you to follow so that you can understand God's Word for yourself. You don't need me. You won't need another preacher. You don't need a college education. You don't need to understand Greek or Hebrew. All you need is a King James Bible and understanding how to study it. God's Word. There are four simple little keys so that you can understand God's Word for yourself. And then God's Word can go to work in you because you not just understand it, but you can believe it. Four keys to Bible understanding. You call me here at our toll-free number. 888-535-2300. I'll give you a free copy. I'll even pay for the phone number. 888-535-2300. 888-535-2300 is the number to call. You call and ask for the, the Bible study. We'll be glad to see that you get it. You can also write me, of course. You can use snail mail. We still use the U.S. Post Office. You can write me here at the Riches of Grace, Post Office Box 97, Bloomingdale, Illinois, 60108. That's box 97, Bloomingdale, one word, Illinois, 60108. You can write me at that, that address, and we'll be happy to see that you get this, um, this Bible study. Also, you can find us on the, inter- in the, on the Internet. If you go to graceimpact.org, one word, graceimpact.org, you can find this, graceimpact.org. We have a website. There's a contact information. There's uh, actually, you can listen to this program once again and, uh, and, and join us that way. Also, on the website, you can find how you can access our 
uh, our services live. We, we I pastor a church in the in the uh, Chicagoland area, and all of our services on Sundays and Wednesday uh, evening are webcast of, over our website. So you know if you if you'd like to join our our uh, happy band of fellowship around God's Word live. Uh, you can certainly do that. And we have all, all those studies also are archived. So we're trying to make material available to you so you can study God's Word for yourself. You can learn God's Word, and then God's Word can go to work in you and be glorified in you uh, as as Paul prayed and, and asked that it, that it would be. The easiest way to get in touch with us, however, frankly, is uh, if not the website, graceimpact.org, is just to call us. 888-535-2300. We have folks that are trained to, uh, to talk with you and help you out of the Word of God. You've got questions. We'll be glad to talk with you. Uh, sometimes people say, Brother Rick, do you, uh, uh, do you take prayer requests? I tell folks constantly that uh, you don't need me to pray for you. You don't need our people to pray for you. You have the privilege of praying for yourself. But if you have questions about the Bible, questions about uh, how God's working in His Word, we'd be honored to talk with you. And if you need uh, some comfort and someone to help you with some comfort from the Scripture, uh, that's that's what we're here for, and we'd be glad to do that. 888-535-2300 is the number to call, and uh, um, graceimpact.org is the uh, uh, website. Post Office Box 97, Bloomingdale, Illinois, 60108 is the the mailing address. Can I tell you that if you don't have a church to attend this weekend— where the Word of God is taught rightly divided and the message of grace is the issue, that you're robbing yourself and your family, if you have one, of a great asset. And I can tell you that right here in the neighborhood and the community where you live, where you're listening to this radio program, there will be this weekend saints that gather together in a local assembly of believers that and some some of the places where this program is broadcast because it's broadcast in a number of different markets there are numerous local churches but at least one in every place this is this program is, is aired because they're the ones that put the put the program on in your in your community where god's word rightly divided is taught i'd like to put you in in contact with them if you'd like to be when you call us you ask about the Fellowship of Saints in your area, and our folks that answer the phone will be happy and uh, and honored to, to put you in touch with them. The number, again, is 888-535-2300. And it's, it's, it's one of those privileges that you have as, uh, as time goes on to learn to work together with, with, with other people in the ministry of the local church. By the way, if you're interested in in an in-depth study of God's Word, not just not just the the quick way we can study it here together, but if you if you really wanted to become a, a real serious Bible student, and you'd ever just wanted to 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 be able to study the Bible in depth for yourself, we have a three-year Bible study uh, Bible training program called Grace School of the Bible, and Grace School of the Bible is available. Uh, on an extension basis, distant learning basis, through the use of of, of uh, uh, the media, and we'd be honored. To, we'd be happy to tell you about that when you when you you call the number. If you've ever wanted to be a student of God's Word in depth, there's a design in God's Word for your edification, and it's a specific design. And the Grace School of the Bible is built on that design. So you call us and ask about that. Eight 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 five three five twenty three hundred. We'd be glad to get that information to you also. Thanks for being with us today. Just a privilege and a joy to be to be here and to have you here when we are. Until we meet this same time again next week, Maranatha.